This is Understanding Money and I am Owen McGee. You're very welcome back or you're welcome for the very first time. Today is all about inheritance tax, gift tax, capital acquisitions tax, basically the tax you pay when somebody gives you something. It used to be called inheritance tax and that kind of brings the wrong connotation to us because capital acquisitions tax is a much better description. If we keep this, try and keep this as simple as we possibly can. Let's just talk about a parent-to-child relationship. If your parents give you more than €335,000 in your lifetime, you're going to pay tax. So it doesn't matter if it's mammy, all from mammy or all from daddy. It's a total of 335000 from your parents to you and anything above that, you're going to pay tax in general. There are some exemptions to it. And the level of tax that you're going to pay is 33%. So to put that in simple terms, if your mom and dad die, leave you the gaff and it's worth €435,000, that's 100000 over the 335 and you're going to pay €33,000 in tax and you have to pay it very quickly typically within six months before you start accumulating interest on it. This is a tax that the government raised. About 2% of all government income comes from an inheritance tax. I slipped in there with the inheritance tax, capital acquisitions tax. Let's try and keep it there because remember, it's not just on debt. It's a combination of anything they give you during your lifetime and when they die, totaling 335. If it's a brother, sister or, or some other relative, it's 32,500 euros. And if it's a stranger who gives you the money, it's 16,000 euros. So you can see there's different levels and different groups is what we call group A, B and C. But the government raised about 2% of their income from this, about 550 odd million last year, which is actually up 24% from the year before. So it has become a bigger pot and they're making more than half a billion off it a year. But you know what else? It's a sneaky tax. The reason why it's sneaky is is because I don't believe anyone's ever going to end up on the streets. On the streets, what I mean by that is, is on the streets protesting. It's not going to have a water charges effect like that did. Because most people will only inherit from their parents once in their lifetime. And therefore, you're at a very, very, very vulnerable point in your life when you're paying this tax and you don't feel like rallying the troops and getting out on the streets. We used to be able to inherit over half a million from our parents. And then it dropped during the global financial crisis, dropped down around 200 grand, went up a bit, went up a bit. And every successive government has promised that they're going to bring it back up to half a million again. And we're still sitting at 335,000 euros. So, what are the things you can do about it? Is this inevitable? Do you have to pay the tax? You will have to pay the tax. You will have to declare any gifts you've got in the past to come off the tax. You do actually, once you get to more than 50% of the threshold, you have to declare it. Even if there's no tax due, you have to tell revenue, I've broken the 50%. But what are the exemptions? How do you get away from this? How do you avoid it? First of all, your parents can give you 3,000 euros or anybody in the state can give anybody else in the state 3,000 euros in a calendar year without any tax implications. So I could give you 3,000 euros. I could give another person 3,000 euros and you can get as many 3,000s as you want from as many people as you want. So that means mammy and daddy could give you 3,000 euros each. So you could get 6,000 euros a year off your parents. But if you have a partner, your parents could you give you 3,000 and 3,000 and your partner 3,000 and 3,000. So if you are really clever about this, let's say you needed 24 grand for help for a deposit for a house and you and your partner were getting it off your parents. Mammy could give you 3,000 and your partner 3,000. Same from daddy, you 3,000, your partner 3,000. Now we're up to 12,000. Do that on the 31st of December. 1st of January, do it again. You've got your 24 grand done and you haven't eaten into the 335. 
lots of numbers there. My point here is, is one of the things that's not utilised enough is we're allowed, anybody in the state can give anybody else in the state 3,000 euros in a calendar year without any tax implications. One of the mistakes I see people using this 3,000 euros a year for is there are certain things that as a parent you can pay for for your child. Their general day-to-day upbringing. The cost of college. You can put a contribution towards a wedding provided it's considered reasonable. Now, I have no idea what revenue consider is reasonable, but put it this way. If Westlife are singing and Daddy's paying for it, it's probably not reasonable for lots of reasons. But a reasonable contribution to a wedding doesn't come out of the 335,000 allowance. Help with a deposit for a house? Does. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll set up a vehicle where we put 3,000 euros or 6,000 euros a year aside and we're putting it away for little Johnny or little Mary and we're saying, right, Mammy and Daddy are putting this in there every year for little Johnny or little Mary. We're going to build the money up and we put 6,000 euros a year in total into it. In 10 years' time, to 60 grand and it's grown to 70. You'll pay tax on the difference between 60 and 70, which is the growth. And little Johnny or little Mary takes that money and uses it as a deposit for a house. That's the perfect use or perfect example of how to use that 3,000 euros allowance. But if little Johnny or little Mary is going to use that 60 grand to put them through college, that wasn't the right thing to do. You should have done it differently. You should have just saved it yourself as a parent, kept all the control over the money, because if little Johnny or little Mary turned into a rascal and didn't go to college because they went off and did other things that they shouldn't be doing, I'm not saying everyone needs to go to college, by the way, but they went off in a direction that you didn't want them to go in as a parent, it's your money in your name and you do what you want with it. Once you give them the 3,000 euros using the gift allowance, it's gone, it's in their name, and it belongs to them. And even if they turn into a drug dealer, you can't get it back off them without tax implications. So, there's the 3,000 euros allowance. It's something that you really need to investigate. You really need to set it up right if you're going to do it. There's also the family home exemption, and this is one that people can get caught out sometimes. We're going to have Donald Bradley come in and talk to us in a minute, and Donald will talk about some of the pitfalls and some of the times you can get caught out here where it's not set up right. The family home exemption is an interesting one. Basically, my understanding of it is is that revenue look at it and say, okay, we want to collect as much tax as we're allowed to take within the the tax rules, but we don't want to end up with someone being homeless because they have to pay a tax bill. So my example earlier on, house worth 435,000, you inherit it, your threshold is 335, you've never got a gift off your parents before, there's 100 grand in the difference there, you have to pay 33 grand in tax. Revenue don't want you to have to sell that house to raise the 33 grand if it's the only house you have. If you've got your own home and you're living outside of that house and this is something else, or if your parents leave you that home on an extra holiday home or anything, if you own no other property and you live in that, you tick all the boxes and you live in that family home and that's where you live and that's your family home, revenue don't want you to have to sell it to come up with the tax. So what they say is is that's exempt and you can be given that. There's lots of boxes to tick and we might talk to Don in a little while about exactly what needs to be done in order to achieve the family home exemption. There's a couple of other reliefs. Business relief, if it's a business being passed down. Again, revenue don't want to have a business closed down just to pay the tax bill. Business that's probably paying other people's employees' wages and everything else. They want the longevity left in it. If it's a successful business for your parents, they die and they pass it to you. Or they want to pass it to you before death during capital acquisitions tax. They do provide incentives there to pass a business from one generation to another. Also, the farmers. The farmers have themselves well covered with agricultural relief. That's another avenue. Beyond that, you've got favourite nephew or niece allowance. And other than that, they've really closed all the doors here. You can do things like Section 72 and Section 73, and we're going to wrap up with them today. But really, it's about understanding why the taxes are being taken. Why is this wealth being taxed? And it's about questioning whether it's fair or not. This inheritance tax, capital acquisition tax, is very much seen as a tax on the Dublin Galway 
Cork and probably Limerick people because 70% of our wealth is tied up in property. And when you look at the average property prices, Limerick's about 290, the rest of them are all up around that 335 or more. So if you're an only child, it's likely your parents, if you live in any of those big areas, are going to leave an inheritance tax bill behind for you. Let's try and delve a little bit deeper, because one of the questions I get all the time online on a thing, how did they know that I got a gift off them in the past? What are the problems? But really, I want to see where's the pitfalls? Where have people got caught out? I'm not looking to evade tax, but I'm definitely looking to avoid it. Let's have a chat with Donald and see what Donald finds in his day-to-day working life about what these taxes imply, how people get caught out, and are there any tricks of the trade that he can share with us that maybe might give you an idea of what way to structure your inheritance. I'm joined by Donald Bradley. Donald and I do know each other. Donald is what I would call a tax planner, tax expert, tax advisor maybe sometimes as well. Tax consultant. Tax consultant. There's a nice summary. We would um, have a very professional relationship and from time to time we've had a pint in the boar's head as well, haven't we, Donald? We have indeed. Yeah, okay. So... The reason why I wanted to chat to you today, we're talking about capital acquisitions tax, traditionally inheritance tax is what it would have been called. And really what I'm hoping is, I've, I've given the listeners in the introduction there, I've given them a summary of some of the things that you can use to try and avoid it, not evade it. So you can use the 3,000 euros a year. Yep. You can use the family home exemption. You can use business and agri relief and favourite niece nephew relief. Okay. Is it fair to say there's not a whole pile outside of that? No, there wouldn't, to be honest. I guess we have probably a very restrictive regime um, compared to other countries and we've we a very high level of taxes. I heard that you were saying that the, the amount of taxes that are brought in by CAT is quite high um, and getting higher. That's because the thresholds are so low. There's not a lot that can be done other than the ones you have um, set out. But I guess what I would always advise people that it's absolutely try and minimise the tax as much as you possibly can. But it's not just about the amount of tax. It's about planning for your own particular family and making mm. sure that, I guess, assets pass on in the most efficient way and that people are protected as well. Yeah. And that, I guess, less disruption as is possible for the family, for the next generation and beyond and beyond. And it's interesting because like, I know I, I've, I've been over and back to the States a bit this year and one of the things that shocked me over there is, mm. is and I don't expect you to have, to have your head over this, your Irish taxes is what you talk about. $12 million, $12 million. Tre- threshold. It's yeah. mad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And isn't that about the rich making sure that they protect their wealth and pass it on to the next generation? Twelve Absolutely. million. But then even if you look across the UK, my understanding in the UK is, is the taxes on the estate. So it's on the person Correct. giving the money, Correct. whereas here the taxes on the person receiving the money. Absolutely. And in the UK, it comes out of the estate. So yes. it comes to you after taxes. So what you get, you get. Yeah, which uh, seems he, less painful even if the tax take is higher or it's the same. Yes, it, it's, it's probably... Yeah, less painful and I guess there's less of a risk to the recipient as well because I suppose the vast majority of us in this country, we pay PAYE and all our taxes are taken care of. And inheritance, either giving or receiving, is probably one of the biggest tax-based transactions we'll ever do. Mm. Yet 71% of the country doesn't have a will. Yeah, You know what I mean? So it's not something we plan for and it's not something that we're equipped for mm. and it's not something that we're going to be in the headspace for, certainly if it's an inheritance and, you know, Money is probably at the last thing in people's minds when somebody, a loved one has passed and so mm. on. So, yeah, there's there's loads of pitfalls from see, a practical perspective. Do you I see guess. any, like I mentioned in my intro that we were up at half many, we went down to 200, mm. up at 335 now. Mm. And when you're having teas and coffees with your tax consultant friends, is there any talk or movement or suggestion that 335 is going north at any stage? I don't think so. 
It was, I think, Enda Kenny promised to have it back up to the half million level by the end of his term. And it is, it's a serious issue because, I mean, you mentioned in your intro the, the, the dwelling exemption. It's actually quite difficult to, to get now. It used to be a lot easier and we might get into it in a minute, but the tax-free thresholds are always based really on your average yeah. property price. And as you said, it got up to half a million plus, but also remember the rate was 20% at the time yeah. or 22%. Now it's dropped way back down and the rate's at 33%. Yeah. So it's being squeezed from both ends and there doesn't appear to be a political appetite for it, unfortunately. Because while it does bring in a lot of money compared to POE or VAT, it's irrelevant. I yeah. mean, it's a drop in the ocean. And with all these things, if you encourage people by lower rates and higher thresholds to pass on a business or a farm or assets sooner, pay a bit of tax, people don't mind it. Mm. It's People start to hold on to things because they, they don't want to crystallize this massive tax bill. I wish there was more of an appetite, but in the short term, I don't see it's it. It's also not going to win any votes. No, it's not. It's not the best vote getter to say, well, yeah. would you not let the man on the hill keep a little bit more of his estate? <laughs> yeah. One of the questions I get asked all the time is, okay, so my mom and dad gave me 50 grand when I bought my house. Mm-hmm. How is anyone ever going to know that? Now, my answer to that, and I, I want you to correct me here, my answer to that is, is at some stage, your mom and dad will have passed away. You'll be sitting in the solicitor's office and that solicitor is going to have to satisfy themselves that you have got nothing out of the 335. Yeah. Is, that as, is it as simple as that? It is, I guess. And I suppose every single inheritance tax form as well will have the question on it that have you received prior gifts or inheritances from someone in, in that group, be it A, B or C, as, as the case may be. So if you're ever going to get something that will tip you over, you're going to have to ask a, or answer a form on a, on a statutory legislative form okay. to say you either did or you didn't. Okay, so you might get away with it. If, if that's what you're thinking, you might get away with it, but the penalties are so high for telling lies that you shouldn't even try. I wouldn't go next night or near it yet. Yeah. And I guess, I suppose, I always say to this people as well, you have to get away with it all the time. They only have to catch you once. <laughs> yeah, fair. And, but the other thing is people do, we do have to accept, there's a digital transaction, there's a record Correct. of everything we do. And yeah. at some stage someone can just, and that's one of the other things is kind of, if you want to say unfair, or maybe as, as a taxpayer, we want to collect as much taxes as we can. It's best for society and that's what it is. But some people would see it as unfair. Revenue can go back as far as they want. When we can go is, back yeah. and do tax returns over four years, but they can go back as far as they want where they have merit that they need where to Where they back. think there's fraud or negligence or somebody is telling fibs, there's no end point. And the penalties are high? The penalties uh, for all evasions or avoidance of tax starts at 100% and then you can mit- mitigate them back down. I'd say the best you could do would be mitigate back down to maybe a 30% in a scenario where you've been really caught with your hand in the cookie jar. The interest then is the bigger issue because the interest rolls at about 8% per year and there's no mitigation of that. So it's often not the tax that you didn't pay. It's the it's interest the and penalties Correct. that really yeah, catch you out. Yeah, because if you ever have far too much time on your hands and you're reading the quarterly reports as to you know the, the tax defaulters, and if you look at the tax might be 25-30% of it. I think the message is, as a society, we want people to pay their taxes and do it the way they need to do it. But as an individual, you just don't need this headache. Like, you, no. you're just creating massive problems for yourself. 100%, yeah. And I'm sure you sometimes get new client on board and they're saying, can you fix this for me? And it's a nightmare for you. Yep. Tell me about the family home. So it is an exemption. And I explained in my intro that I would be worried that the revenue don't want to throw you out of your house um, mm-hmm. to pay a tax bill if it's the only home that you have. It used to be a thing, and it's not anymore, I believe, yeah. that you could buy little Johnny a house 
stick him in it for three years and then just give it to him. Correct. And that's closed off completely and there would be no tax problems there, just closed off. Or little Johnny's in his house and you just buy it off and give him back to him three years later or whatever the case may be. Now the only way I've gotten that, that was under the family home exemption that little Johnny was being exempt Correct. from yeah. that. And, and that they, was, they pulled the rug out from that about six years ago, five, six years ago yeah. maybe. So now, forget about as a child, because if you're, if you're, if you're a child and this is your family home and you don't inherit any other house at the same time if you, as your parents' death, you will be exempt. Okay. Yep. But as an adult, what circumstances can you inherit the family home and get the exemption? Inherit is the probably important word because the, the scenario you set out previously, it was excellent because it was a life, it could be a gift. Jury, you, like, you could plan for it as part of your sort of your, yeah. your overall succession plan. But now it's limited to inheritances only. So obviously after death. And it's only available where both the person who has passed away used the house as their main home, where the person who's in receipt of it used the House. Same house as their main home, have to have done so for at least three years mm. till the date of the person's passing, and there has to be no other residential property either owned by the person receiving it or inherited at any stage. Okay, uh, from the the deceased, and where that at any stage came in, that came in a couple of years after the main changes. Right, okay, because you could say, let's say, if there was a small holiday home. You'd stick that over there in a, in a vehicle called a mm. trust for a couple of years. You'd inherit the main home because it's a point in time. Mm. And then you could take the holiday home out. But that's gone now as well. So it's it's very much to people who lived in the same house and had essentially nothing. It's, would you it's, have it's to now have... almost actually sorry to cut. It's like you were saying, it's a mechanism to not have to sell the home as opposed to an exemption. Yes. Okay. That's fair. Would you have to have never have left the home? Or can you move back into the home Mum and dad aren't well and you're looking at them down the line, they're going to go in the next three years, I'm going to move back into the gaff. It's three years up to the date of the inheritance. Okay. And my understanding is if they have a care need, that's justification for you to move back into the house. Can a care need be just they're over the age of 75? They, they're not specifically ill. Yeah, it's, it's, you don't actually, I mean, you can move back into the house for any reason. Okay, so it doesn't yeah. have to be a care need. Correct. So you can move back into the house, provided you don't own a home. And one of the things that you and I have worked sometimes together is, is we're saying, okay, if you've got the family home and it's been inherited and you do qualify as, I know the exemption is the wrong word, but yeah. the, you do qualify that the revenue don't want you to have to sell this to pay the tax bill because this is your home, right? Mm-hmm. You've ticked all the boxes there. But if mammy or daddy give little Johnny a holiday home at the same time as the inheritance, the, the exemption is gone, right? right? So you're much better off giving little Johnny's siblings the the investment properties or the holiday oh, homes. Correct, yeah. And you just keep yourself out of the loop on that. Yeah, and that's exactly, that's a, exactly right. And I guess it really highlights the need to plan because I suppose a will is somebody's statement as that this is what I want to happen when I pass. If you don't have one, they're very... Mm. straightforward but strict rules say that if you die without a will this is what we're going to do yeah. and it's essentially everybody gets an equal slice Okay. so in that scenario everybody loses in a way Okay now business relief as opposed to a family home relief business relief can happen during your lifetime you can control yes. it while you're still alive you want to pass the business down to the next generation and Correct. you can do it what type of incentives are available there to pass the business down to the next generation? Well, and there has been sort of some mooted changes to thresholds and so on in the most recent budget, but they're not in in play yet. But essentially, if you pass an active business, a trading business generally, quite often, I suppose, in a company with shares and maybe with underlying assets in it, but you can get the value reduced by 90% of the actual value so that the recipient will only pay on 10% of the value. So the business business is worth a million quid 
and it's passed to me. My mother gives me this business, it's passed to me. Mm-hmm. Revenue only see me as receiving 100,000 and they tax me accordingly on that 100,000, not on the million euro, 90% Correct. reduction. Correct. Okay. Same with farm? Same with farm, yes. Okay. Obviously totally different qualifying conditions and so on. But Do you yes. have to farm it? You don't have to farm it per se, but there are two aspects that you have to... There's an asset value test. In other words, 80% at least of your assets have to be agricultural assets. And either you farm it actively for more than 50% of the time or you lease it for a minimum of six years to a farmer who's going to farm it. That's 80% of your wealth has to be farm not that farm it just In, including that farm including that farm so once okay. they say so if you already have an asset mm. um, so if you have a I, farm and dad leaves you the farm you're uh, yeah, amalgamating the yeah, two that's fine um, now again that is something because 80% is, is not that much particularly if you aren't living on the farm and if you have a family home elsewhere you know so and that again is why planning is very useful because you can move assets around within certainly if you're married you can move things around so again both business asset relief and agricultural relief are something that are possible to be done both by gift or inheritance. Obviously, where possible, by gift because you can get your ducks in a row. Yeah, okay. Favourite niece and nephew relief. Just explain that to me. You mentioned in your intro the, the various thresholds and obviously there's night and day difference between a Group A threshold and a Group B threshold. A niece or a nephew is a Group B relative. 32,500 so, is correct. a yeah, Exactly. Okay. So essentially it's that where the niece or nephew works in the business and let's say I own the business and my nephew works in it and I want to pass some of it on to him. And once he has worked, I think it's five years they have to work in the business with me for a minimum of 24, 25 hours a week, something like that. In other words, be a sort of a, a proper active working member active of, yeah. member of the yeah. business, then they can be treated as a child. Okay. From the, in order from so the they can get group B just in respect of a qualifying transfer. So I guess then if you think about it, if business asset relief works as well at the same time, you mentioned like a business worth a million. If you had no nephew relief and no business asset relief, that's going to crucify that nephew. Yes. But in this scenario, let's say you can get it down to just 100. And yeah. if he's treated as a child for it, then he's way below the group A threshold. Right. Okay. You know, so it, it, it it's more getting them into the group A in respect of that transfer. But don't forget as well that if you can structure that, another relief can apply as well to double up. Is there very is there much of a difference between business relief and agri relief when it comes to favourite niece, nephew? Not really, no. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's the, the, the impact would be the exact same, I guess. It would be both in having to get the, the, the farmer test satisfied as well. You know the way we all, like whenever I was doing my tax exams, and I've done a few tax exams over the years, when I was doing tax exams, there was always the thing about uniforms and the barrister who tried to claim for their uniform yeah. and they weren't allowed to claim it as a relief. And the barrister yeah. said, well, I wouldn't wear this to the pub. And they said, well, you still can't claim it as a tax relief. Yeah. Is there any inheritance tax stories that go round at the Christmas party of the tax consultants that you kind of, it doesn't have to be your case. It's better if it's not your case. But is there any of those ones on the inheritance side where someone got caught out really bad? It sounds like a lonely enough party, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> I guess it's a lot of the time it's more that people meet someone like myself or yourself and they, they get their plan in place mm. and they forget that with an awful lot of these reliefs, there's clawbacks. Yes. The main home one, you have to use the main home for as your main home for six years. And a lot of people think, say, well, as long as I don't sell it, I'm fine. But you have people who don't think two steps outside the box and then let's say they've put their home up on daft. 
Yeah. I mean, we have, there's a digital trail to nearly everything. You can hardly cross the road without using a PPS number anymore. These things are quite straightforward to find out. So things like, I have seen people having their main home exemption taken back because they moved to Spain three years later and they Ooh. rented their house out. Right. You know, things like that. Or... Um, Sorry, and just on that, for the business home, for the family home relief to apply, you've ticked all the boxes, it applies, you've inherited the house because they have died and they've given it to you mm. and you've ticked all the boxes, you didn't pay tax on it, you have to live in it for six years. Correct. Okay, can you sell it and buy another home for yourself? You can. Okay, so you, you have, don't have to live in that house but you have to use the proceeds of yeah. that. Okay. And let's say if you use all the proceeds, that's great and I think you have to, for six of the following seven years if you sell a house, so they give you a bit of wiggle to okay. to sell one and buy one okay. Um, and then it's proportional so if you only invest half of it into your new home you have a clawback of half okay but if you stick it up on DAF for rent because you're living in Spain you're going to have a, yeah, a, it, have it, a yeah it's that you have to use that home as your main home for okay. six years and then there's a caveat if you sell it you yep. need to reinvest and when you get hit with that it's the tax plus the interest plus the penalties like we were talking earlier on yeah in a scenario like that they probably wouldn't charge penalties because right. I guess it's you were entitled at the time but they would charge interest okay yes. I, I probably should have mentioned as well that there are some rare but important occasions where the the main home exemption still applies in a gift if it's been gifted by someone who has capacity issues or okay. is incapacitated and isn't able to, to earn. So in some scenarios, it is still possible for a parent to transfer, let's say, either client who had um, multiple sclerosis. Mm. So they weren't able to, they were perfectly compassmentous and mm. capable, but it's just they weren't able to work to earn. Mm. So in that scenario, they're deemed incapacitated. And for, there's exemptions apply yeah. there. Okay. But, which is again important when planning, but only, I suppose, if there was an issue there already. Mm. Slightly off topic, but I'm using it as an anchor to bring you back in for something else. One of the things that frustrates me is the tax system does not treat cohabiting couples the same way it treats married couples mm-hmm. okay and that's probably for another day and we can probably bring it back in and talk to you no, about it's, that another it's, day it's, it's, it's a massive issue yeah. massive issue is there any recognition here for the more dynamic family right I recouple up and this is my stepson or my stepdaughter or mm-hmm. this is my foster child is there any recognition from an inheritance tax point of view that has kind of come of age with the times it has a bit we're slow I mean all our legislation is probably um, founded in the constitution and real old style sort of devil era politics where the family unit, as in the very sort of traditional family unit, was the basis of everything. Over the last probably 15 or 20 years, it certainly has come on. You mentioned cohabiting couples. They can, bizarrely, the first thing that brought in for cohabiting couples was that if they split up, they could be treated as if it was like a divorce and for transfer of assets. But there are certain circumstances, all right, from, I don't think from a gifting perspective, but certainly from an inheritance perspective, there are, you have to apply for it and you have to prove that you are cohabiting and they have some sort of very poorly phrased and very tax-man sort of... Like to just get on with each other for long enough. In a a loving and committed relationship, I think is one of the legislative phrases used, which I'm not sure uh, anyone put any thought into. But so it is possible for children, an adopted child is treated the exact same as a biological child. In an awful lot of cases, stepchildren are as well. You mentioned foster children. That's a sort of a funny one insofar as... There are two types. There's formally fostered and sort of informally fostered. A formally fostered child can be treated as a child in respect of inheritances only. Right, okay. Not gifts. And if a child has been living with foster parents, be it formally or informally fostered, they have to be living with them for at least five years up until the date they're 18. Okay. 
But you, again, you have to prove it. And let's say you can. They can be treated as a child for gifts and inheritances. Mm. But there is that time of five is, years. Is it specifically to age 18? It, yes. So if you, have, if you had your favourite foster parents that you lived with from the age of seven to 15 and then it changed around, that's out the window. You moved off to another family from 15 to 18. Are you out the window then? Not for the first family. So they can still treat you as a child. Okay, five years okay that's fine. Okay. But it, let's say if you were in and out of loads of different foster families and then settled when you're 14. Yeah, it's too, too you're late too for late. the tax yeah. man. So it's, Isn't that great? It's, again, God. it's, I mean, I can understand the, the, the requirement to have a time period in there, you know, mm. that's, but at the same time, it's, I mean, you're accumul- you'd be accumulating people who can be treated as a parent to you. You don't get extra thresholds. You know, I mean, it's, mm. it's almost punishing those who probably are in a more difficult situation rather yeah. than, yeah. helping them yeah. you know so again it's it's someone is only looking at it from one side of the fence unfortunately very important to be planning and talk to people in a scenario like that absolutely and that, that, one of the things is this is a complex area talking yeah. and getting advice is key Correct. to this and it's yeah. one of those areas where people say like you cannot pay enough money for good advice in a situation like this like, that, that's what it comes down to for yeah. me what 2023 thought people who watch the Late Late Show of the last couple of weeks or who watch social media at the start of the year is, now whatever about married couples and then cohabiting couples, what does the tax man think of truples and polyamorous relationships, Dola? <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure they are. Uh, I don't think the, the, the David Hayes clauses is uh, up there just yet. I'm not sure how politically um, okay. useful that's going to be. Either. I love the awkwardness of you. It's deadly. Donald, thank yeah. you very much for coming in. I know it's been a rough couple of months in terms of work. You had the tax deadline last week. I really and appreciate that trouble question. That trouble question to throw in there for you. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Amanda, you're very welcome back again. Thanks um, very much. We are today getting questions on inheritance tax. Yep. And we've spoken to Donal and I've done the intro and we've spoken to Donal. Really interested to see what is on people's minds yep. in relation to inheritance tax. So we just jump straight in. Yeah, we got, let me say, we did get a lot of questions on this. So we've done our best to shortlist it to a list of questions that will benefit everybody. Okay. That's always a sign that it's a yeah. topic we need to come back to. Yeah, and come back yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we've said that about couples and we've said that about property as well. And yeah, we will come back we to this We have the one. list. We have the list. Yeah. Okay, let's jump in with the first one. Hi, I have a question on estate planning after you're gone for your loved ones. Um, what are some of the, the measures that you can take in advance while you're still alive to plan out your estate um, and your various sources of wealth? How can you organize and plan those in a way so that when you're gone, the probate process and everything around that, which can be a real sticky, messy situation for a lot of families, how can you make that as simple and as transparent and as pain-free as possible so that ultimately the wealth that you do pass on after you're gone is is a positive and joyous one for your family members? Thank you. Hmm. This is really just about structure, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose this person's looking at making it as easy as possible mm. for their kids yeah. planning ahead. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Alex Ferguson said, if you don't know the answer to the question, the answer is no. I think I have that quote more or less, okay. right? And it's a bit like that when it comes to your estate planning, right? There's, there's, there's things you can do, and I'm not talking about Section 72 and Section 73 and how you distribute the assets or any of that. Mm. I'm just talking about the simple, what Guy caught there was the probate, making the probate process as simple as possible, yeah. right? And what I would say there is, is like Alex Ferguson's question, if you don't use the bank account, you don't need it. 
Okay. If you don't try and simplify things as much as you possibly can. Okay. The probate process is much easier to do if you've one bank account compared to if you've 10. It's okay. much easier to do if you've got one investment instead of 10 different investments with 10 different companies. So the simpler you can make it, if you're looking at a bank account saying, could I close that? If you're even asking the question, I would be saying, close it down and bring it all together. So that's, it, it's just a simple structure, first of all, of trying to simplify it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The other thing is, is there is nothing more valuable than a regularly updated balance sheet or okay. a net worth statement. Yeah. So a net worth statement or balance sheet is everything you own and everything you owe. So if you owe money, yeah. and the more detailed, the better, right? Put the policy number in for the investments. Put the mortgage account number if you've got a mortgage. Put the life policy number if you've got an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. And have it all as a record of truth. One piece of paper somewhere or one document somewhere that people will be able to access yeah. and do it. And what I would suggest you do is... Tell is someone about it Tell well. someone about it. Yeah. That's exactly where it was going. Mm. You need to set a reminder on your phone that I'm going to do it today and I'm going mm. to remind myself this time next year that when I do it. Do but it when again. I do it today and when I have it complete, get that one page document and fire it off to the solicitor who has your will. Okay. Okay. Now, step back a bit. If you haven't got a will, that's a the will. first step. Yeah. Get yourself a will, mm. right? And most listeners will charge you very little to do a will. Mm. And let's face it, the reason why is because if they did the will for you, they're more or less more than likely going to do the execution of that will mm. later on when you're gone. So that's where they'll they'll get their fees and they have to be paid. And no problem with that, right? But having a will, first of all, but then trying to simplify your accounts and then putting a net worth statement together that you update regularly and you fire it off. That's why when when oftentimes when people come to us as a financial planner, when someone has a good financial planner, we'd say, right, this is your record of truth now. We yeah. want you to know that if something happens to you, your family know that they can contact us and we have a record of truth. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, I think that answers this question, doesn't it? Yeah, and I suppose you've touched on it there as well. If if it's something that doesn't sound like you can do it yourself, get help from an yeah. advisor or planning. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Talk to your solicitor, talk, but also talk to the family. Yeah. Like yeah. This is how it is. Look, that's my balance sheet. That's what it looks like. You're probably, yeah. if Ask. you're thinking this way, you need to be, hopefully you can be at a stage to say, look, you're the executor of my will. Have a look at this. This is where mm-hmm. it is. Any questions now while I'm alive and I can still tell you about it because it can be a nightmare of a process. I know. And some people just don't want to talk about it. No. Like, you know, no, it's tough. when anything comes up like that, they just don't. Yeah, shut down. Don't want to talk about it. Yeah, and yeah. that can be both sides. That yeah. can be you as the oh, person yeah, who's, yeah, who's yeah, planning yeah. what's going to happen after your death and it can be your son or your the daughter are going, don't I don't want to talk to about acknowledge that. it. No, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's go for the next one. Hi Owen, this is for the podcast in terms of inheritance tax. Um, I had a relative who had a pension that was worth around 200000 in the UK and they passed away when they were 73. I don't think anything was done with it. Um, I just, I'm just wondering what, what the situation is is there. So really, there's a pension in the UK. Somebody mm-hmm. has died in the UK. One of the things you have to do is, is you have, the first thing you need to do is get in contact with, a, ideally, a financial advisor, a financial planner in the UK okay. and talk to them and say, look, we believe that's there. Can you, can we authorise you? It's the executor of the will will have to authorise the person okay. to go searching for it or find it. Mm-hmm. If you've got policy details, if you've got any details at all, that's really going to make the search much easier. The executor is the one who's going to have to go and start chasing this. If it's going to be brought back and distributed through the estate, tax rules will apply. Yeah. Whether it's the UK or anywhere else abroad, there's a huge amount of countries, right, that we would have what's called a double taxation agreement with. 
you would expect that what would happen there is, depending on the agreement and how it's set up and where it is, you would expect that if there's any tax deducted from it there, you'll get credited for that tax here if there's any tax due here. Okay? Right, okay. At 200,000, it depends how wide it's spread. It depends how much tax. So there's a whole, yeah. that's a complicated one. Mm. So I'm not sure what the answer is, but I can tell you what the starting point is, is to yeah. try and get the policy number and try and get either, get the executor to engage with a financial advisor over there or get the executor to engage with the company directly and say, what are our options here. Yeah. These companies are dealing with these things all of the time and therefore mm-hmm. they will have a very clear, precise process that you go through. What about if that person didn't have a will? If that person didn't have a will, there'd still be rules around it. Sometimes even a pension in particular, and they mentioned it was a pension, will have a thing called a letter of wishes. Okay. So a letter of wishes is an instruction from the individual to the pension provider to say, if I die, yes. this is what I want to yes, happen. Yes, it yes. doesn't actually have full legal standing. Mm. It, that's why it's called a letter of wishes. This okay. is what I'd like to happen. Mm-hmm. And it gives the trustee an indication of what the desired outcome would have okay. been. Okay, so if they don't have a will, but if they don't have a will, they died intestate and they will end up just, it'll be divided down. We are definitely coming back to wills, right? Because this okay. was this was inheritance tax and wills. It kind of went, oh, we're going to get caught up there. But we'll definitely get someone in to come in and sit down with us and talk to us about how wills are distributed and what happens yeah. with the UK. Because that question in particular, I'm jumping out of two of my lanes. Like I'm jumping two lanes across. Yeah. I'm not a UK advisor. I'm not a legal person. Yeah. And I'm talking about tax. So it's three areas that we're not so... I'm giving general information yeah. here and I'm not even confident on everything that I've said there to be totally correct. Okay. So what I would say is, is started by contacting the pension mm-hmm. house first, whether that's through an advisor or directly to them. Mm-hmm. They will generally only deal with the executor of the will and that's it. Okay. So you give, you've given that person a starting point anyway. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know what the end looks like, it. but that's yeah. the starting point. Yeah. Another one. Hi, Owen. Kate here. What do you think about taking out a Section 72? Estate approximately 4 million four kids. Is it worth taking one out? What are the pros and cons? Thank you. So there's an estate there of four million. Mm-hmm. There's four kids, 335,000 each for threshold. So let's just round it to 1.2 million. That means there's 2.8 million in that estate that's mm. going to be taxable, assuming no other reliefs apply. Yeah. Okay. Roughly a third of that again in rounding. There's about a 900 grand tax bill potentially that's going to have to be paid there. Okay. okay. Between the four of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Section 72 is an interesting, what it does is it's an insurance policy. Okay. Okay. And you take it out on, let's say, in this case, the parent. Okay. And when the parent dies, the policy pays off the tax bill and you receive the estate tax paid. Okay. Now, it'll never be perfect. So I'm guessing, I know I did a whole pile of rounding. Mm. But in this case, what you do is you take a 900,000 euro Section 72 policy out. Okay. When the person dies, and if it's a couple, it's when the second person dies, because that's when the tax bill will kick in. Mm. The second person dies, the 900,000 euros is paid to the estate. The solicitor can use that 900,000 to pay the tax bill. If the tax bill is a million, the rest of you are going to, the four of you are going to have to come up with 100 grand. If the tax bill is 800,000 euros, the 900,000 is still paid out. The 800,000 is paid out and the other 100 grand extra just goes into the estate and funny enough, slightly right, increases okay. the tax bill again, right? So it's kind of round and round. Yeah. I know it's complicated, but basically what it is, it's an insurance policy that pays off the tax bill or okay. as close to it as you possibly can get to it. Pays off the tax bill. So you receive the money, not tax free, but tax paid. So the okay. four siblings here yeah. would get the money tax paid. People looking at insurance policy, don't like insurance policies, doesn't make sense. The calculation we often do here when we're working out Section 72s is, we say, okay, let's say, just to keep the maths really simple, imagine you were covering 100,000 euros. 
of yeah. a tax bill. Mm-hmm. And imagine the premium was a thousand euros a month. Now I'm totally making up those numbers, right? Okay. Completely, right? Yeah. The tax bill is a hundred thousand. That's what you have your insurance on. It's a thousand euros a month. We will do a calculation there to say, how many months do I have to pay into it before the amount of money I've paid in is greater than a hundred yeah, grand, yeah. the amount that they're going to pay out. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what happens is, is like in that case, in that simple example, it's a hundred months and yeah. you're breaking it. And there's a whole pile of other technical stuff that we can do to try and never break that, that you never pay in more than what yeah, you can yeah, pay out. Yeah. But to simplify it for everyone, we say, okay, we've worked it out. And typically if we have someone in their 50s or the 60s, we'll work it out and say, do you think you're going to die before 98 and a half years of age? Mm. Or do you think you're going to die between between now and 106 years mm. of age? And they say, oh, yeah, I'll definitely be dead by then, right? Say, well, if you die at any stage before your 106th birthday, you will have paid less into it than what that's okay. going to pay out. Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, so that makes sense. So Section 72s, like they are very, very worthwhile. We use them all of the time. They're a really useful tool. They'll never be perfect because you'll always overshoot or undershoot the mm. runway in terms of the tax bill. But it doesn't matter if it's overshoot, it goes into the estate. If it's undershot, you just have to come up with a bit more. Okay. The other thing that people get caught out and they go, they look at the premiums and they go, oh, God, that's a lot of money on a month-to-month basis to be paying out, yeah. right? Like, you're, you should be eating into the four million to pay for it if you have to. Like, that's not a problem. Yeah, and that, because that, that was the other thing I was going to say. It's This is if the if the parent wants to take on paying that yeah, themselves and, or leave it to and that's the a, estate. That's a brilliant one because it's the parents have to drive this because some parents will say, but we would actually, I would say it's fairly close to 50-50. So we'll have a conversation with the client, with our client, we'll say, okay, you're going to leave a tax bill in that circumstance of 900,000 mm. euros is the rough back of the fag pack of calculation. What do you want to do about that? 50% yeah. of our clients will say, affect them, they're getting enough, let them yeah, pay the 900 exactly. grand. Yeah, and 50% of them will say, no, I want to do everything I can. I really kills me. The tax yeah. man's taking a big chunk of cash just because I died. Yeah. Right? Mm. So there is kind of a, a balancing act to be done there. One of the things is not using that same example, the 900,000 bill, right? One of the things you do need to be careful of is some people say it's an all or nothing thing. It's absolutely not. Like you could do mm-hmm. a 300,000 section 72 and the 300,000 be paid out in that example, 600,000. Okay, right. You, so you could just do a portion, a portion of what of will be due. And oftentimes yeah. what we would look at is we'd look at the estate and say the estate has a huge amount of property in it. Mm. We would say, you know what, you really don't want to have to be forced to sell the property to pay the tax bills mm. for each of the four siblings to yeah. have to pay a tax bill because you might have to sell the property exactly the wrong time. Mm. So therefore, let's make sure that we've enough in the Section 72 to be able to pay the tax bill when we take the cash into account, right? Wipe everything else out, use all your cash and the Section 72 combined to be left with just the properties so that there's no forced fire sale on the property. Mm. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's not an all or nothing thing. There is a couple of like, there's, there's a product in the market that we use a lot, which brings in a whole pile of extra stuff that if, okay. if in 15 years time or more you wanted to cancel the policy. Mm. So say you'd spent loads of money or the tax thresholds had gone up and there's no mm. tax bill anymore. You've been paying into this yoke for 16, 17, 18 years. You're going, Jesus, I've just like wasted and I don't need it anymore. Yeah. Maybe you just don't like the kids anymore. Right? Maybe they're just brats and you're saying, let them pay the tax bill, right? <laughs> and you go, I'd love to cancel this policy. There is a contract that we yeah. use that gives you three options. You'll keep paying it. Okay. And it stays as it was. The second option is, is you stop paying it and instead of having 900 grand to cover and I'm making the number up, they'll say, you can you see it in advance. A point. They will say, we'll give you 600 grand whenever you die. Okay. Okay. So they'll tell you in advance, mm. this is what it's going to be like. They'll tell you today what, they're, what the offer is going to be on 16 and 17 and 18 years and so on. Or the other third option, which is the one where I don't like the kids anymore, right? Is, you know what, just give us a refund and it's typically 70% of all my premiums I've paid in. Okay. So it's a bit of a game changer because yeah. traditionally these Section 72 policies were a, a situation where you were looking at it and you were going, oh, 
maybe the tax rules will change, maybe I won't like the kids, I'll pay into this thing for 15, 20 years and then you just cancel it and the mm. life company is delighted because they've collected 15 or 20 years of premiums off you and they never have to pay out now because you've just cancelled it. Okay. Yeah. Whereas with these three options, you continue paying, you lock in a life cover amount and they'll pay that out whenever you die and yeah. you know what that is in advance or you take a refund of about 70% of your premiums. Okay. And it's just a game changer and that's why for me it's been something that's really dramatically changed. When that product came out a couple of years ago, mm. I said, okay, this is something we can really look at again. Yeah. And I think from, just to go back to that person's question, I think they sound like they're in a situation that they could use the help of a financial planner or advisor in getting that set up. Absolutely. Like totally. Yeah. And there's other things that that person might be able to do. Yeah. But their specific question was section 72 and do I think it's worth it? It's the last line of defence. You do everything else you possibly can and then you say, okay, what's the tax bill going to be now? And you use section 72 then. Yeah. So absolutely. No brainer. We have one more question. Oh, do we? Okay. Right. Let's try and get this one done. Hi, Owen. Just in relation to inheritance tax, I would love to know more about broken families, I suppose. I'm married with three boys, but my eldest son is not my husband's. We have all got the same surname, so he has changed his name by deed poll. But if something was to happen to me first and then my husband left it to him, what kind of tax would he be subject to? Or do we need to put something separate in our will to take account of that? Thank you. Okay, this is actually fairly straightforward. So that your eldest son, as she described, her eldest son has a stepfather. Um, She doesn't mention anything about the biological father, but she's a stepfather. My understanding is that that child has a total of 335,000 that they can inherit from their parents. But that child effectively has three parents. Okay. So the biological father, the mother and the stepfather... Okay. Combined in total can give a total of 335,000. Okay, that so that that covers off a step parent as yes, well. Step okay. Parent. So okay. We, you wouldn't have heard it Amanda but Donald and I did speak about foster okay. children and there's a different rule around foster yeah, yeah, children yeah. but with step children where the where the new family has got married, right? Okay. In this case the husband yeah. their husband and wife and I know the depot and everything happened as well but their husband and wife He's that eldest son's actually in a better position than his siblings are because okay, yeah. he can yeah. he still is his total tax threshold of three thirty five spread across three parents. But he has three yeah. potential. Whereas his siblings have three thirty five spread across two yeah. parents. Yeah. That's it. So it's actually kind of straight. It is straightforward. He's not really disadvantaged unless um, he's left loads of money and he goes well over to three thirty five from all the different from the three different people that's that are involved. Okay. So it's that's just straightforward. Very that there's actually there's nothing that she needs to do there. No, You're married, a, and it's done. He'll be treated and she the doesn't same. need she doesn't need to worry about who dies first or whatever way it works. Okay. It's yeah. in strangely enough, yeah. in this circumstance, the tax system does recognise the new unit and does recognise yeah. the relationship between the eldest son and the stepfather. Okay. They were good. I like yeah. those ones today. And you know what? It just shows you the questions and the thoughts and what people are Absolutely. thinking about. Yeah. And I do think we definitely have to come back to this, don't we? Yeah. And I like, thanks so much to everyone who did send their questions. And I really did try to shortlist it to cover as much as we possibly could. I do think that it is worth revisiting because this has definitely been the most questions we've got in. Okay. So if people do have questions, Amanda, where do they send them to? So they send them by voice note on WhatsApp to 087-291-0507. That's 087-291-0507. Excellent. Amanda, thanks as usual. Thanks for having me. Inheritance. 
inheritance, capital acquisitions tax. It's a complicated area. I've done tax exams and I still learn stuff today from Donald and even you remembered stuff that you'd forgotten about with your questions. And what I would say, it's a complicated area. It's complex. It's difficult. It's emotional. It's a hard one to navigate. And if ever there was a time to get advice, it's now. You need, if you're thinking and you're looking at inheritance and you think there might be an inheritance tax bill or a capital capital acquisitions tax bill to be paid, you need to get advice because it's invaluable. One of the things that I that helps me navigate it a little bit is when I think about the rules, I try to think about the sense. Why did the taxman put the rule in place? Or what is the the ethos or the ethics behind it? What is it? What are they trying to achieve here? And if you think about the private dwelling relief as an example, not having to pay tax on your own home. They want to be convinced that A, it's not your own home, that it is your own home, and B, that you don't have somewhere else to live. And once they've convinced themselves of that, they're saying, well, then we don't want to tax you on your own home. It's your home. It's not an investment. It's your home. And that's the rationale and the reason and the rhyme behind what that rule or why that exemption even exists. And you can do the same with businesses. The business relief exists because you've got a very successful business or a business that's trading exists, whether it's successful or not. It's trading, it exists, probably employs people. Revenue doesn't want those employees to go out of business just because it's passed from one generation to another. So they put exemptions and reliefs in place. And when you think about the taxman, and I, I should say, I keep calling him the taxman. It could be the taxwoman or the taxman. It doesn't matter, right? Apologies to anyone who was offended by that. I've said taxman the whole way through. But what I would say is that the taxman, in general, knows that if they continue to allow the country to prosper, they will collect more tax. That's what it comes down to. And they want to collect taxes, the fair taxes that have been agreed in government and by society and everything else. But they want to make sure that businesses continue to thrive and that they have every chance of success. There are things you can do about this. The €3,000 a year is a very simple one. Make sure you document that property. Make sure you take it out of your name and give it to the child's name. Or if your parents are giving it to you, make sure it goes into your name. You can put it into a bank account and spend it this year if you want to. You can put it into a long-term savings account, which is what we do. We set up loads of them all of the time. Long-term savings account in the child's name or in this recipient's name. We let it grow for 10 years and it grows and it's invested and we use 60-40 or whatever else we need to do. Make sure you get some advice on that because the structure is really important. The last thing you want to do is wake up in 10 years' time going, I've been doing this wrong for the last 10 years. You can do things like we talked about Section 72, which is an insurance policy. Great. And it does often make financial sense to do that, but it's the last line of defense. You want to make sure the private dwelling relief is available, if, if is used if it's available and it's, it's appropriate to use it. You want to make sure the business and agri relief is used. You want to make sure that stuff that is available has been used to its fullest before you start looking at Section 72. The only other thing that is a big one that we didn't touch on was Section 73. Section 73 is a slightly different thing. The person who is the giver, the person who's giving away the money, right? They take out a savings policy in their own name. And if you tick all the boxes, the proceeds of the savings policy can be used by the estate or even if they're still alive and they tick all the boxes, you can use the money in the Section 73 policy to pay a tax bill. And it's the tax bill of a capital acquisitions tax bill, just to be specific about it. So that's one that can be used quite a bit and is one that is very popular because the person who pays into the savings policy maintains control of it all the way through. And if they decide at some stage that they don't like the kids, they turn it off and they just spend it on a boat or whatever it is that they want to spend it on. And they keep control of it. So yes, you have to tick a whole pile of boxes to make sure it's set up as a Section 73 and it stays as a Section 73, but you can turn off the Section 73 and go and use it to spend it on whatever you want. And that's a very popular one. 
there's a whole pile of other areas we didn't touch on. Trusts and family partnerships and a whole pile of other things that we could have went into. But they're just too detailed for today anyway. But what I would say is, is I'm surprised. Amanda's surprised. The team is surprised at just how much interest there was in this area. So we will be coming back to it. As always, I appreciate the fact that you have taken probably the best part of an hour out of your day to listen to this. I do hope you found it useful. If you did find it useful, please hit that follow button. It makes a massive difference to us. You have no idea the difference it makes when you follow. Don't forget, some of the interviews are up on YouTube as well. And if you really liked it, go share it with a mate. Thanks for listening. This was Understanding Money. I am Owen McGee.